0: Teresa Teixeira spent her childhood summers on the lake at the family cottage. It's where she developed into a competitive paddler. Throughout her athletic career, Teresa would go on to compete in three World Dragon Boat Championships in Poland, China and Australia.
1: And, um, you know, like anything, and it's very much what I take throughout my life, is, you know, you have to keep your eye on your race you have to keep your eye on and focus on um, your end goal and, and specifically what you are doing. You can't worry about your competition and you, you just really have to get stay inside your own head. Play your own game. It's very important. Yes, And that is one skill I've absolutely taken with me in my career.
0: Teresa is now the Executive Vice President and Chief Underwriting Officer for Totten Insurance Group.
1: I live uh, the game of inches. So, um, although I'm focused on an end goal always, I uh, everything I do is a game of inches. So I um, I um, focus on what I have to accomplish in that very day. And I think the way I live my life, I uh, I, I it's very busy. And I don't think I would be able to do that if I sort of um, didn't live that way. I, I I figure out what I need to do in the in the day, in the moment the hour, whatever, um, and then get it done.
0: On this episode of Run It Like a Girl, Teresa talks about how she manages in a business that is still heavily male-dominated, and she discusses how a lot of women hold themselves back by questioning their own abilities and skills.
1: But if you have a passion, you've got to listen to your heart and know that you can do it,
2: whatever that passion is. doesn't matter.
0: Teresa Tachera on this episode of Run It Like a Girl.
2: Today we're downtown Toronto, where I'm speaking with Teresa Teixeira, who has joined us for an episode of Run It Like a Girl. Teresa, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Uh, Well, how about we get right into it? Why don't we start with, maybe you can tell us a little bit about yourself and your background and what's led you to what you're doing today.
1: Well, um, I started to think about what might be interesting to other people, and, you know, I started to think perhaps it's not one thing that I do that might be interesting, but more about all of my accomplishments. Um, So, you know, there are lots of people that, you know, that are, you know, executives and have been successful with their careers. And there are many people that, um, you know, have been successful and had much more success uh, as athletes, um, you know, and that are mothers and all those things. But it's probably about, you know, how much I am willing to take on, how much I I have done throughout my life that might be interesting. Um, So, uh, you know, as I said, when when, when I peel back the onion, uh, that might be my story. Um, So, um, you know, I think... I'd have to say that when I uh, was just turning forty, I you know after I'd built up my career, I'd gone uh, back to school and got my education. I had raised a daughter who is now very successful herself, um, and I had won three world championships. I then uh, embarked on uh, the probably the biggest challenge of my life, and we adopted two young girls, and the. Uh, uh, both girls are uh, doing really well today. Uh, both girls have uh, uh, both uh, have physical disabilities, but um, you might not know that if you saw them today. And um, I'm, I guess, I'm really proud of all three girls. Absolutely. So that's a little bit about me.
2: Well, that's amazing. So, so you went back to school when you mm-hmm. were forty.
1: No. Oh, no, no, no. I finished school. Oh, okay. That was my, oh, journey, that was, that was my before. journey before. That was Okay. Yes. I
2: was like, wow, I did not know that. <laughs> yeah, no,
1: I know. I, I, I graduated from high school and um, got got married for the first time and had my daughter and then went back to school.
2: So you're the executive vice president and chief underwriting officer for Totten Group. Mm-hmm. What what does that mean? What,
1: is, what does that mean? Um, it probably means different things every day. Um, in my world, the the chief underwriter role can mean different things depending on what company you work for. But largely, you're responsible for underwriting, and underwriting is basically the uh, the responsibility over risk. So you are uh, so an underwriter identifies uh, it identifies risk, prices, uh, and um, and uh, <laughs> underwrites the business, which is effectively determining uh, the the exposure that exists. So, um, if you know, if, if you were to break it down, what skill level, levels do you need? It depends on what class of business you underwrite. Um, I have a wide sort of a range of of uh, ex- uh, of uh, you know back uh, backgrounds. So, um, you have to know a little bit about law. <laughs> you have to know a little bit about finance. You have to know a little bit about every segment of business that you work with so if you you know if you're looking at a plumbing risk for example you have to understand that plumbers tend to work do hot work and that hot work could burn down a building so uh, and they can cause water damage so these are the sorts of things that you've got to deal with and and how frequently does that happen and so you're dealing with a lot of stats as well. So those are the sorts of things that you would do at an underwriter level. Um, the underwriter role has changed over time. Um, you know, when I started it, it was very much, especially in commercial, it was very much at the risk level. Uh, today we're dealing with, you know, like everybody's using big data. <laughs> so we're, we, you know, we use big data as well. And we, you know, we're always analyzing our loss experience and slicing and dicing it in different ways to try and sort of predict what the future uh, outcome is for that class of business and then that helps us to price and underwrite the business and then you also have to understand wordings so policy wordings are that's where the law comes in and how does that policy trigger and what is the recent case law that might tr- trigger that so you know insurance in itself doesn't sound uh, overly interesting but when you're actually working at it it's intriguing because of those fact you know, those facts
2: absolutely um and with that this is- Question: I'm not
1: sure. Does uh, cyber security risk come in now? It now? does, yeah. And we're, we actually have a cyber tech specialist. Um, it's not my expertise, but it certainly is his, and uh, that's a pretty in- interesting emerging um, issue. Um, and uh, it's, you know, the whole world is is challenged by that. Privacy issues are a big. Big concern. Um, and uh, certainly, uh, you know, you're, everybody's using third party providers, and those third party providers can create extra risk for your business. And as much as you try and eliminate all risks with your employees, they can be at the very least they're going to be sloppy about their um, their IT security, etc. So these are the things you have to be concerned with there. And and uh, but certainly it's become a a, a coverage um, issue for a lot of big businesses, even small businesses these days. Um, ransom is a you know. Ran- Ransomware is a big deal these days, so that's of concern for even smaller companies.
2: And ransomware is where, is that, if, I, if I'm wrong, but that is where um, some sort of hacker or whatever will steal all your data, and if you don't pay them, they exactly. will release it to the public?
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or they'll do something, or they'll the public might even not be the risk, they might destroy it.
2: You know. <laughs> right. Yeah. So maybe we could talk a little bit about uh, the discipline that it takes to be um, kind of a, a, at the level you were with uh, dragon boating, like how did how did you get into dragon boating, and how how did you work your way kind of up to, to being at a national level?
1: So I, throughout my entire life, I paddled competitively. Um, as a um, as a kid, I paddled. Competitively at the cottage, and uh, you know various different races, Um, and it's always been a passion of mine. Um, My summers were spent um, from the time I was nine on at at a a cottage my family owns uh, owned a cottage up until just recently, in fact, and uh, that you know summer involved uh, as soon as the as soon as school was done. We'd take off our shoes, and we'd, uh, you know, we'd be at the cottage for the summer, and the shoes wouldn't go back on until September. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so that was really the the beginning of my journey with paddling, um, and continue to be. A, it's always been a passion for me, and being by the water.
2: Mm-hmm. So the water is a very important aspect of your life. Mm-hmm. And um, are you do your do your siblings then? Are they do they still?
1: paddle and- um I have one sister that paddled competitively um and um most of my family uh, uh either run or um swam competitively
2: oh wow wow so yeah. an athletic family so mm-hmm. uh, being in sports has been part of kind of your life since since childhood
1: Very much so, yes. Um, As long as it didn't involve a ball. I'm not overly coordinated (laughs) when it comes to uh, any ball sports, so I think that's why I tended to move towards paddling and and swimming and running and things like that, because um, I could manage it.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Um, And I was was just thinking, so you've been to three world championships for dragon boating. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think you mentioned Poland, China, and Australia, Right. Can you, I don't know if you can, but can you describe the feeling of kind of being on a start line of a, uh, a at a level like that? Yeah. What that experience is like?
1: Yeah, I think it's the same feeling most people have when they're going into anything that they're anxious about. And you use that little bit of anxiety to be good at what you're doing. And, um, you know, like anything, and it's very much what I take throughout my life is, you know, you have to keep your... Eye on your race. You have to keep your eye on and focus on, um, your end goal and, and specifically what you are doing. You can't worry about your competition and you, you just really have to get, stay inside your own head.
2: Right. Play your own game.
1: Play your own game. It's very important. Yes. And that is one skill I've absolutely taken with me in my career.
2: So do you think then I was, cause I was just going to say, um, the same kind of discipline approach to your career and how you've you've managed that coming up to now being uh, an EVP and chief underwriting officer for your company?
1: Yeah, I think that um, I live uh, the game of inches. So um, although I'm focused on an end goal always, I uh, everything I do is a game of inches. So I um, I um, focus on what I have to accomplish in that very day, and I think. The way I live my life, I, uh, I—it's I, very busy, and I don't think I would be able to do that if I sort of um, didn't live that way. I, I, I figure out what I need to do in the in the day, the moment, the hour, whatever, um, and then get it done.
2: So, is it small goals that small, are eventually leading to the bigger? One? Small
1: goals that I build out. Yeah.
2: Oh well, wow. mm-hmm. that's uh, that's actually an, an excellent uh, an excellent point because um, I imagine in both sport and business. That's 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 important.
1: It's extremely important. Um, the company I work for um, was a smaller company when I joined it five years ago, um, and it's been extremely um, it's been been an extremely challenging journey because uh, we went from being a sixty million dollar generalist to a two hundred and forty million dollar specialist in the time that I've worked there, and so you can imagine the effort that that took at least in the first few years and um you know we continue to grow and we int- continue to acquire other companies now so and uh you know again if we had to sort of think that through if, you know if you didn't sort of break it down to that game of inches um we wouldn't have been able to do it
2: so this is completely off of, of what i kind of talk but i'm wondering if maybe this doesn't apply but um we'll see and we don't have to go this way um so being in a company that's growing rapidly. I imagine that you're uh, you're constantly hiring people, you're constantly having mm-hmm. to change the skill set of the people that you currently have. Absolutely. How do you as a leader um drive your employees to to uh, you know to not be afraid of change or not be afraid of 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 pivoting the way the business is going because I imagine disruption is probably pretty common in an organization that is doubling its growth at such like mm-hmm. quick rates.
1: Um So I think it's really important that um, as you hire, first of all, you hire the right talent uh, for the right job. Um, But the other piece of the equation is, you know, we've talked about the game of inches, but you also have to have your master plan. So when I came into the company, the president and myself mapped out what do we want to be? So how do we want to grow this company? Would we want to grow into uh, becoming a specialist, an organization that, uh, uh, that, Uh, brokers come to uh, to place their business because they uh, enjoy our technical talent as opposed to being just being able to tackle you know the standard business so um so that involved just hiring the right people that were specialists and if you're a specialist by nature you're going to um, gravitate towards um what you have to do you are built and so that's that's i guess largely what i do with with the people that i work with is just help them to stay focused on what they have to achieve within their specialty or within their within their job description and then we you know build it again so whether it's through acquisition or or bringing on a new uh a new specialist
2: that must be exciting times at your at your organization <laughs> <laughs> all the time <laughs>
1: i was just saying to uh to uh, to one of uh are people there? Uh, you know, it's uh, it's not a, not a job for the weak of heart. <laughs> it's a very it's a very uh, um, it, it's, it's it's stressful, but at the same time, it's exciting.
2: Yeah, I bet. So you also talked about about being a mom, one to to an adult child, and then two two little ones that mm-hmm. you have a, that you have at home. So how are you managing such a a, a busy career? with work kind of like work-life balance like Mm -hmm. what is what does that look like to you because what I've also found through these interviews is that looks like something different to absolutely everyone
1: yeah um so I would love to be able to take all the credit but uh you know when my husband and I decided to um to adopt the two girls um we sat down you know to talk about what that would look like. And, uh, you know, at that time, my career was already going in a direction, and we've we decided, for example, he took the parental leave. I didn't. Um, he took time off away from his career, well, you know, and, and spent more time with, you know, taking on that sort of... Um, uh, you know, parent-teacher, that sort of thing. Um, so the girls are now 11 and 12, so it's things have changed again. He's gone back to a, uh, you know, a full-time job uh, and you know working longer hours, and we're kind of just sort of uh, taking things a day at a time, really um, figuring out what works. And okay, I'll take this one. We're doing kind of the normal parent trade-off. But when they were when they were younger, that's what we did.
2: Right. So as you say, I guess it's communication, really understanding mm-hmm. what your partner and you are going to, how you're going to split things up and how things are going to go.
1: Right. Yep. Yeah. hmm Yes. And uh, uh, very much too, as we went into this process, my older daughter was very involved as well. And, uh, you know, we... we we wanted her to be part of it. I mean, her first comment was, "Now you're giving me a sister or a brother." <laughs> as we were going through the process, but um, uh, she's she was pretty excited, and she continues to be very involved in their lives as well. And you know, we've always said, uh, you know, if you're not, you know, if you're not comfortable talking to us about something, you can always talk to uh, Dawn, is her name. So you can always talk to Dawn about about anything. She's there for you as well, and she has been.
2: That's great. How do you think being an athlete has influenced the way you lead?
1: Um, Yeah, so I think that, I don't know if it's influenced the way I lead or it's just the way I tackle everything. So um, I'm over-focused. It's both a blessing and a curse. Um, You know, uh, one of the things that's great about my spouse is that he reminds me often to come home uh, I am just that focused and when I'm doing anything I'm just that focused so um and so for sports that that's a big a piece um and for work it's a big piece um in terms of my role um, I think it's the same with sports too they um you know one manager that reported to me at one point said to me um they never see you coming and uh i i i just quietly go about doing what i have to do i think the same was with uh my sort of sports career as well it wasn't you know um it it, you know even getting you know when i was trying out um i was kind of you know the, the first round for the first world championship i was put in the slow boat they just took one look at me and you know i probably didn't fit the profile i'm a little shorter and and um you know but anyway, that's, that's who I am. I'm, they, they don't see me coming. I'm a little unassuming, even in a boardroom where I'm mostly working with males and, um, I have the quietest voice at the table. Um, it's, it, you know, uh, they don't see me coming.
2: Yeah. That's, uh, I, I'd like to, I, I'd like to move on to that point. So your business is, would you say at your level is still male heavy, mm-hmm. male dominated? Yes. So.
1: At one point it was all male. You know right now I have a bo- my boss is female, which is different and and in fact, she was just on a panel in uh, uh you know uh she belongs to the world broker network and she was in the u s uh on a panel uh, and it was a diversity panel and she was talking about women um in um in business and she asked me you know kind of um in terms of my career uh you know how how is it that we're sitting here? And others aren't. And I said, you know, it never occurred to me that I couldn't be. And um, But a lot of women I find in my business still to this day hold themselves back. They assume they can't, and so they don't. Um, and I'm not saying that there aren't challenges. You know, having the quietest voice at the table is not the easiest. Um, but it certainly makes a difference when you just assume you can do it. You know, I have always assumed if you work really hard and put your mind to it, you can do it. And I tell my girls the same thing. I always say there's there's nothing you can't do if you set your mind to it. And my favorite expression to my girls is the harder you the harder you try, the easier it gets. So if you kind of take that mindset, it's 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 okay.
2: Yeah. So do do you feel like do you think that? Um so as the quietest voice in the room is that you just have to demonstrate that, like, it's in your work. That's what you're... That's how I do. That's how I
1: demonstrate it. I bring it to the table. I make sure I'm well prepared. I make sure that I've got everything, you know, kind of ready to go for whatever meeting I have to attend. Um, I make sure that I put the hours in to accomplish what I have to do. Um, And I know that I'm going to be that quiet voice at the table. And after a while, you build up a reputation where they kind of stop and listen for the quiet voice.
2: So when you talk about you know uh, traditionally in your in your line of work for whatever reason it is that women hold themselves back, um, at my day job I was fortunate enough to go through a women in leadership program and uh, and I agree with what they said that you know even when women are applying for jobs you know they look at that and if they don't have a hundred percent of what's required sometimes they just they won't take a step forward
1: absolutely whereas
2: traditionally wide sweeps here. But a man, if you look at a job description, if he has about 60%, he's like, man, I'm good. I'm going to go for it.
1: Absolutely. So they put
2: their hands up more. Yeah. So, um, I guess it's just making sure that, uh, when there are quiet voices at the table that they are listened to. Right. And, and you, you have been able to, to carve out a very successful career for yourself based on the fact that you're good at what you do.
1: And, and that's, that's the key, but also feeling like I can, um, it makes a big difference
2: how do we encourage that? How do we get more women to, to come to the table in, in kind of your kind of business and other areas of executive? Well,
1: I, I, again, it's just, you know, with what I think I tell my daughters, all three of them, you know, those two things, you know, the harder you try, the easier it gets. And, and uh, you can do anything you set your mind out to doing. There's no, the only barrier is you. That's the big thing I'm always telling my girls. Um, there'll always be obstacles. There'll always be obstacles. I mean, because I've done things in a kind of an untraditional way, I've had many people over the years say, why would you do that? Or you can't do that? Or that would be silly. And you know, for whatever reason, maybe I'm just dumb enough not to listen. I don't know. But but I've always just carved my own path. And I think that's important for people to know that don't let... You know, you don't don't listen to the negative voice in your head. Make sure that you, uh, you know, know that you can do it if you want to. Whatever the obstacles are.
2: Okay, and I, you know, I think I may have answered this with that answer, but uh, if you could go back and uh, and have a day with a very young version of yourself, whether that be like a 18, 19 year old, or even someone as 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 young as Ellie, my niece who's sitting here with us, who is 12 um, what, what would, what would you say? Or your daughters? But I think, I think Mm. you've kind of answered this, but uh, is there any other thing that you would tell yourself if you were going back to the start of your career?
1: Yeah, I think I I thought about that question a fair amount before,
2: uh,
1: coming here and, and I I don't know. I think there's a lot of things I, I would have probably told myself, but one of them is, is, you know, to be that confident person for sure. Um, and, um, it's always great to listen to other people. You have to, especially at 12 and 13, because there are a lot of people around you that have great advice. But if you have a passion, you've got to listen to your heart and know that you can do it, whatever that passion is. It doesn't matter.
2: Teresa, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been an absolute pleasure talking with you. And as an old friend, it's been great to catch up. So thank you very much.
0: Thank you. Run It Like a Girl is hosted by Bonnie Moak. Brian Long is the producer web design and technical assistance provided by Dan Moak, and music courtesy of the talented Brooklyn Gilachuk. Patricia Gygich is an accomplished Canadian artist, award-winning author, and humanitarian. On top of that, she's had a successful banking career, being named more than once as one of the top 100 most powerful women in Canada by the Women's Executive Network. Patricia Gygich on the next episode of Run It Like a Girl.